Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Deezer. Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast, a conversation with leaders who have succeeded or plan to succeed in Latin America. Today, our guest is Luis Santiago. Luis is Pegasus CEO and CTO. Luis was recognized in 2016 as one of the young leaders of the Americas by the American State Department and in 2020 as one of the 35 innovators under 35 in Latin America by the MIT Technology Review Magazine. He has participated in dozens of international forums and events pointing out the importance of healthcare digitalization in Latin America. So Luis, it's great to have you here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Julio. It's great to be here and, and share this space that uh, many leaders in the area have shared before. So it's a privilege and honor. Awesome, thank you for that, I appreciate it. So Luis, tell us about your journey. How is it that you got to where you are? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, we in Pegasi have a background before working in the healthcare IT area. We had a company in Venezuela. Uh, we closed that company during 2017, of course, uh, due to the situation that we have in the country. Uh, at the time of closing, we had around 8,000 users that we had uh, digitally transformed uh, using EHRs and, and the, our ERP software. And we were managing around two and a half million electronic medical records in the country. Um, so we were in contact during 2016 and 17 with many uh, facilitators and mentors that said that it would be a great idea to extend what we were doing for Venezuela to the rest of, uh, of the region. So um, afterwards, uh, in 2019, we got into Startup Chile, which is a program that's conducted by the uh, Chilean government. And uh, we got some grant funding and we found the Pegasi here in Chile, then it's extended to the U.S., and we are now covering five countries in Latin America with the services that we provide. Beautiful. Wow. That's quite impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wasn't sure about the Startup Chile part of your story. I didn't know about it. I don't remember that part of it. I mean, that's what a program that Chile has is an example in Latin America. Exactly. And it, it's starting to, to be promoted to other countries. Actually, Startup Chile is starting to be a success case in, in many countries in, in Latin America. Uh, we, we have the, the, the knowledge of uh, certain programs in Colombia that are doing exactly the same. We have uh, one in Puerto Rico that's called Parallel 18. Uh, the previous uh, director was a director for Startup Chile as well. I read so, it, yes, yeah. Exactly. And, and it's a program that... Um, well, these are programs that are super essential uh, in uh, creating an ecosystem for for startups to grow in those spaces and then start expanding from those specific countries and, and starting exporting to other parts of Latin America. So where, where we didn't see the opportunity in Venezuela because of the instability of the country, we, we found that niche, that opportunity in Chile and started more extending from uh, Chile to other parts of Latin America. Okay. Very good. All right. So, Luis, let's talk about trends. What, what do you see happening in Latin America uh, from the political, economic, or social standpoint that is relevant to our discussion today? Well, and that's a great question. Um, we are currently focused on oncology, so I'm starting seeing the trends in the, in the area. 
Um, we, we recently were reviewing uh, many of the reports from Globoca uh, starting 2018 to 2020, and we saw the number of cases in the cancer cases in Latin America increasing drastically uh, between 2018 and now. And uh, one of the reasons you might know that cancer and, and some medical circles called uh, middle class disease. Uh, ha- cancer happens when you don't die of other things. So it, <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah. So middle yeah. class disease. <laughs> exactly. It, it happens, for example, when you have Africa and Latin America uh, overcoming diseases such as smallpox or uh, dengue, malaria. Uh, then people grow old enough to to have cancer. Uh, in the case of Africa, particularly, it's being called an epidemic right now because you have around three and a half million cases reported every year when there were none 20 years ago uh, or very few many years ago. So in, in that sense, uh, Latin America is starting to see a huge trend in, in cancer developing in the region. Uh, the, the, the first and most prevalent one is uh, breast cancer and the second one is cervical cancer. In many cases, uh, cervical cancer specifically is caused by human papillomavirus. Uh, classes 16, 18, and other high-risk uh, papillomavirus. And of course, if you start seeing papillomavirus as something that's uh, an STI, a sexually transmitted disease, uh, an STD, I'm sorry, then you start seeing the trend of uh, how cancer spreads like an epidemic. So uh, it, it's very interesting that uh, when you start seeing the diseases that the, the people have, uh, then you start seeing that uh, these diseases are related to overcoming uh, extreme poverty in the region and um, people increasing their lifespan. So you start seeing uh, diseases that have been prevalent in the developed world and they're starting to show up in the developing world. And we are prepared to deal with malaria. We are prepared to deal with dengue. Um, we are prepared to deal with, I don't know, small bugs, but we are not prepared to deal with cancer. So there's a huge trend in the developing world to start preparing for these, uh, quote, middle class diseases, unquote. Um, and, and it's interesting because these are niche that are not developing medicine in the region. So there's a huge need for technology. There's a huge need for, for awareness. And there's a huge need for education of people to, in order to avoid uh, developing these diseases. And screening, I would say, too, right? Yeah. I mean, innovative technologies, as you correctly said, to screen patients, because now um, you, we have um, newer technologies. For example, just to give you an idea, I'm dealing with a client of us who has probably the only device in the world that can detect the change of temperature in the breast okay prior to to a woman going to mammography so you have this little device it's a ten dollar twenty dollar device that you get at the drugstore you put it in the fridge and you just every three months or so just uh put it next to your breast and then it will give you an indication of uh, a change in temperature so that you have an alert. Uh, you tell your doctor, and then you get sent to mammography. So exactly, yeah, and other technologies like that. I think. Too. No, and it's amazing. Uh, these are very, very incredible technologies. Uh, the uh, one of the key advantages of technology is that uh, the sooner you develop the, that technology, 
and you have that technology in the market uh, for longer lifespans, uh, then of course the technology could become cheaper, and it's something that's uh, something that can be acquired and massified in the developing world, for example. Exactly, exactly. All right, Luis. So let's talk about what you guys are doing with Pegasi. What problem are you guys trying to solve with the the, the company? And what challenges are you facing in doing business in, in Chile and the other countries in the region? No, that's great. And thank you for that question. Um, pretty much what the, the mission in Pegasi is reducing uh, time for uh, cancer um, diagnostic and time to treatment by half uh, for the developing world. Um, this problem emerges, like I, I said before, there, there are some figures. You have 19 million people with cancer in 2020, and uh, the race between 2018 and 2020 comes uh, specifically for, from Latin America and Africa. And uh, we have an, an disadvantage uh, when compared to the, the, the developed world, where the mean time for cancer detection and treatment start is 60 days. And in Latin America, the mean time is 120 days. So there, there are some researches that indicate that for every 30 days that you take to diagnose and start the treatment of a cancer patient, their uh, ability to emerge uh, victorious after the treatment is reduced by 6 to 13%. So yeah, you start with a handicap when dealing with cancer in our regions. So you might have 120, 150 days before you get a, a certain diagnosis uh, from that patient. So uh, that means that uh, for regions such as Latin America, Africa, Southern Asia, dealing with cancer is even more expensive than, uh, not, never to mention the, the, the dropping quality of care and quality of life for those patients. But it's actually more expensive because when you start treating the patient, the patient is in a, in a stage that's further ahead. You, when you might have found them in the developed world in stage one or two, you'll find them in stage three or four here in Latin America. So what we developed is something that we saw in the region that was happening. This uh, thing about moving cancer information from one place to the other. For example, if you have the suspicion that you have cancer, the first thing is to create a biopsy uh, or, or to take a biopsy out of the tumor. And then you might take one day, two days analyzing the report, and then you have to wait for the patient to pick that report up and then take it to the physician so the physician can review it. And then this whole process takes 10 days. And then it, you start, you have the biopsy report and the physician says that he's super alarmed and now you have to treat the, get the patient into the OR as fast as possible. And that, that takes another 15 days. So in the end, you, you, between your suspicion that the patient might have cancer and the moment when the patient is having the first treatment, 150 days went by. So what we created is a Pegasimet, an oncology information system that allows you to have everything that is connected to the patient's cancer suspicion in the same platform and which readily uh, 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 first, it allows you the access to the information. Secondly, gives you all the alerts and warnings that, for example, a result is ready or a patient needs due treatment at a certain point. And third, allows you to create statistics out of uh, all the information that you have condensed. So, 
So the idea is to create an, this oncology information system that first allows you to control what's happening in the oncology institution, and second, and most importantly, is to connect all the dots. Then uh, you have all the information that you need to make a decision about the patient. So uh, we started working in, in the first area that we touched was uh, suspicion. Uh, we started working with uh, screening protocols. Uh, the first one we launched, we launched in July, uh, July 2020, in uh, July 2021, sorry, uh, in, in Ecuador, in Cuenca. Uh, we screened around 3,000 women for human papillomavirus, uh, found 192 infections, reported those infections immediately to the physician and the patient. And uh, we are now conducting a, a research to see how many patients got an appointment with those physicians who follow up on the infection that was found. This is high-risk human papillomavirus. Uh, those patients are at risk of 70% uh, probabilities of developing uh, cervical cancer. Um, we are also extending that protocol to tuberculosis. As you know, TB uh, here in Latin America is a precursor of uh, lung cancer. Uh, specifically in Chile, it's a, it's a very, very big problem due to contamination. And um, then uh, the afterwards, in, in the diagnosis and treatment phase, we created a platform that's called um, a tumor board, a virtual tumor board, which allows uh, physicians to uh, remotely connect uh, to discuss a patient's uh, case, have all these uh, assets uh, in line. For example, you have uh, your mammographies or your imaginology reports, your laboratory reports, your um, anatomical pathology reports, if you have uh, molecular screening of the patient, you have that available as well. So when you have that discussion, you have all the assets that you need, you create a treatment case or a treatment plan, and the platform administers the treatment plan and gives you warnings when this patient is supposed to have a chemotherapy or what is the, the expected date of the surgery for the patient. So it allows you to synchronize all the resources that you need to give attention to the patient. So uh, in, in short, pretty much what we do is we collect all of that information and create a single pipeline uh, to join the patient and their care team in all of the patient's uh, uh, journey throughout cancer. Hopefully uh, joining them also in researching how they, uh, what results did they have from their treatment and how that treatment will benefit a patient with the exact same type of cancer. So in the end is connecting enough information from a region that has 70% of that information in paper uh, in order to create artificial intelligence that allows you to predict and prescribe the type of treatment for a patient, uh, a singular patient. And, and who pays for this platform? Who's your client? Yeah. And that, that's very interesting. We have a different client. Uh, we have a client and then we have an end user. Um, exactly. Yeah, I imagine that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, currently, we most of our customers are uh, pharma companies uh, that are interested in conducting real-world data, real-world evidence uh, research. Uh, our biggest customer is Roche Laboratories right now. We work with them in Ecuador, uh, Peru, and, and Chile. And then uh, we, what we do with them is uh, we created a, an R&D platform that allows, uh, for example, a physician to interact with a patient, store that information. Then uh, they send a, a consent form using the platform that is digitally signed by the patient and allows their information to be used in clinical research. 
this is a completely automated uh, process and uh, it gives the the farmer uh, a hassle-free way to obtain high quality data to perform the research absolutely mm-hmm. yeah so so the for the client I'm sorry for the end user um well I, I, I take that back so the platform is is free or is easily accessible to a hospital easily accessible to a, a patient so that they can more freely enter the data because they are really the source of data and then you sell that data to the pharmaceutical companies or whoever industry exactly we sell aggregated anonymized analytics of that information we never yeah we never sell the source information we actually don't we don't have access to it um whenever we enter a record in the platform it creates uh it's uh encrypted and uh there are two keys that can unencrypt the information the first one is from the physician and the other one is from the patient themselves uh so we don't have anything that can identify a person uh, we create our protocols using aggregated anonymized information, and that is an information that we use, for example, to train artificial intelligence. Well, we have an alliance with a company in Spain that's called Yacan. Uh, with a company, we are trading artificial intelligence algorithms to predict the best course of treatment for uh, breast cancer. And um, there are many other things that you can do. For example, uh, if you introduce a new medication, uh, a new chemotherapy treatment for certain types of cancer, you can validate the results in actual patients. Um, and that, that's uh, the idea of uh, having clinical information as a source of truth uh, and giving physicians also interfaces that allow them to create high-quality clinical data uh, instead of uh, just writing things down in uh, unstructured, uh, unprocessable formats. Yeah, but... but- was it the experience of the physician or the patient uh, with the platform? Because uh, from the standpoint of a hospital or physician, don't they find this redundant to have to enter information in an electronic medical record platform and then in your platform, I guess, you're separate? How does it work? How's the adoption? The, the platform works as an EMR, uh, an EHR. Uh, we, we have like... Yeah, we were actually discussing this with one of the mentors uh, this morning. Uh, they say you don't evade. It's, there's no way you can evade uh, doing like EHR, ERP software development. I said no because most of the uh, clinics in Latin America are still on paper. Uh, there's a study from the ITU, the International Telecommunications Union, that says that Latin America has like 73 percent of their clinical information still on paper. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, in yeah, that case, if behind. you want to install yeah, a, a beautiful tumor board that will allow you to discuss twice as much uh, cases, uh, twice as many cases, I'm sorry, uh, during the, the week, then uh, you start seeing that for a tumor board to work, you actually have to have digitized uh, assets. So then you have to provide those physicians with some sort of uh, tool to actually uh, digitize the information, and then you have to install your uh, HIS software. And then we, we started like working from the HIS, which is the base, and then we started adding like these cherries on top, like for example, the tumor board, the screening platform. But you cannot have a screening platform or a tumor board if you don't have an EHR. Uh, so we have like two flavors. It, it, it depends on the institution. If they have a HIS, 
we create the interfaces with their his to recover valid information to go into the tumor board. If you don't have a hip, a his, don't worry, we have you covered. And uh, then we create an ecosystem for information to move in the clinic in a digital form. Okay. So right now, today is cancer. Are you looking, uh, does your roadmap include other indications or other therapeutic areas? Yeah, um, we currently are seeing that uh, the space of chronic diseases in Latin America is the, and, and Africa as well is the least vacated, uh, the, the least uh, inhabited, I'm sorry, by solutions, uh, because you don't have anyone that's integrating uh, information in all of those spaces. Uh, we have had um, proposals to, for example, this uh, tuberculosis protocol, uh, respiratory diseases that are uh, prevalent in the region, uh, we have had an invitation to do an Alzheimer long run test as well. Uh, so the, the space for chronic diseases is uh, interesting, but the fact is that uh, oncology is a very large niche in itself, and uh, we see a huge impact opportunity uh, in the oncology protocols. Excellent. Very good. Congratulations. It looks like a, Thank you. a promising technology or platform. And what Thank countries you. are you currently in right now in Latin America? We are operating in Chile. It's, uh, Chile is our headquarters. We are doing, uh, we're working in Peru, Ecuador, Venezuela, uh, Dominican Republic. We have uh, like three or four customers in Colombia. Uh, looking forward to expanding uh, faster in Colombia. And uh, we recently had a, an interview with a, an, an, a primary care center in Honduras. And they want to start using the platform. So uh, probably are going to have a couple of customers in Honduras. Um, and uh, then we are negotiating with our first customer in the U.S., given that they have to do HIPAA validations that uh, usually takes, takes a bit longer. But yeah, um, trying to have, like, we, we have few customers in many countries of, of the region. Uh, every country that you see through is a is a challenge because uh, every country has different uh, legislations, and then you have to make sure that you are not stepping anyone's toes. Exactly. Yeah, I, that, that's the next question that I had for you, Luis. Challenges and best practices. Uh, can we identify some common challenges? Uh, uh, among all these countries, I mean, across the board, have you seen kind of a pattern of, uh, of of accessing the market? Is it the language? Every country has a different kind of dialect in Spanish, different way of yeah. doing things or saying things. Uh, as you correctly said, the uh, legislation, the regulations are a little different in every country in Latin America. And that's a big challenge in the region. It's so fragmented. Right. So please speak about challenges and, and if you can give us some tips or best practices, that would be ideal. Uh, that, that's great. Uh, that, that's a great question. I think uh, the biggest challenge, is, as I said, is the difference in legisla the legislations between the countries and uh, the misconception that Latin America is a black country. Like, for example, you have an... Uh, like in, in Europe, and this is only recently, like 20 years from now, uh, in Europe, that you have a single uh, entity that gives you access to the whole market. So in Latin America, it doesn't work like that. Every country is a world in itself, and every country has their own patterns in terms of managing information and their uh, legal framework. Uh, for example, um, 
In our case, one of the things that helped us uh, penetrate countries faster is the fact that we cover uh, a legislation in, in the U.S. that's called HIPAA. It's uh, extremely, extremely uh, secure, one of the best legislations in the world for for accounting on, on patient privacy. And um, that makes it, whenever we go into a country, we have to learn like the the key issues that we might find in the, the country's legislation, but it's usually faster and, and much easier to implement since we comply with this very, very demanding uh, legislation. We also we also comply with ISO 27001, and in many countries, the spirit of the law included for patient privacy control uh, emanates from some ISO uh, standard, like ASO 9001. So if you comply with these uh, international standards, it's going to be a lot easier to respond to what the country is requiring from you. I would say the the other large challenge is understanding the customer in each of those uh, countries. They have different expectations, different technological development stages. And uh, expecting, for example, a clinician from Chile to uh, have the same level or, or the same awareness about technology as a clinician in Colombia is it's very, very, it's a severe understatement. Um, there's probably uh, more, at least in the private sector here in Chile, there's some more awareness for uh, healthcare uh, technology and, and healthcare information technology in particular that you may have in, in Colombia. Perhaps not in Bogota, but uh, in other cities of Colombia. Or you, but you might find in El Salvador, for example. I have been talking, uh, I've been talking recently with uh, the healthcare ministry in El Salvador, and many of the things that we are uh, proposing to them are, are completely new. Uh, they, they didn't know that it could be done. Mm -hmm. so, and, and it's super interesting in, in terms of there's a huge amount of opportunities, but of course your sales cycle is going to be a lot slower because there's a huge education component in that uh, sales cycle. So uh, you have to say to people what they can expect, what is the result that they're going to get, and uh, above all, uh, what is the 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 type of revenue or the type of increase in efficiency that they will get from implementing those type of technologies because you have to tell them the whole story um in, in many countries I, I would guess that that mm, encyclopedical knowledge is not necessary to be shared because people already have it um here in latin america you have to start from scratch mm, mm, interesting all right all right so but, luis yeah. yeah go ahead no, no, I was going to say, if you're the guy that actually uh, tells them the story for the first time, uh, then you are one step closer to getting the niche market uh, specifically for you. Because, uh, yeah, you are the person that knows uh, about it, and you're going to be the point of reference. Sure, yeah, yeah. All right, so any best practices, uh, any suggested uh, tips or, or uh, courses of action that companies can take when navigating these waters in all these countries? What would you say will be your muscles of, of wisdom? What would you say to somebody who's just starting to uh, uh, think about Latin America as a place to do business based on your, your challenges and, on, and how, on what you have done to overcome them? I would say there are three things that you have to do. First, uh, get a, a close look of the market that you're entering. See if there's any local dominant 
uh, driving force in the type of technology that you're trying to introduce to the market. Uh, seeing the stage of development, that is also important. Uh, then when you get into the market, you have to know that Latin American markets move more on connection and less on value proposition. So uh, get a first customer that's highly respected in that society or that mm-hmm. country. A reference. Create, uh, exactly. Create uh, success cases. Uh, that's the most important thing to do. And after you create that success case, do not be shy in telling that person to introduce you who might to their circle who are interested, who are interested in having your technology. Um, I, I would say there are some countries where, where you try to keep hoard that technology for yourself because it gives you a competitive advantage. But in most in Latin American countries, people are, are like super happy to show off uh, how great their technology is. So that's something that you can take advantage of. Um, sure, you like, play to their egos. <laughs> exactly. And saying, like, let's share this huge success that we had with people in your circle. I'll, I'll make it look good. And uh, and it actually works. It works super well. Great sales tool. Yeah, thank you for that tip. I mean, very nice. I like it. No problem. <laughs> All right. So, Luis, we're close to the end of the show. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? You can reach us on our website, pegasi.io. You can also write me my email, luis.santiago at pegasi.io. We have everything for your oncology needs, um, oncology information systems that can actually help you reduce uh, the time that you take to diagnose and treat a patient by half. Um, We are also probably going to be in in some events that you might go to in the healthcare industry. so. Be on the lookout for us. Excellent. You guys are active on LinkedIn, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can reach me in my LinkedIn profile or on Pegasus profile. We are active in both. All right, Luis. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure sharing this thank you, um, information with you. Uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge, your experience, and your vision to dominate the oncology market in Latin America. Exciting uh, niche and problem that you're trying to, to solve. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and to you too. I, I, I'm a fan of the podcast and I'll, I'll keep <laughs> on the lookout for further editions and getting these amazing tips as well. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Bye-bye.